I'm Dr. Robin Roth, but my friends call me the Booby Docs, my popular social media account where I talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and fun way. I'm a board-certified radiologist who specializes in breast imaging and image-guided procedures. I'm also a 40-something Ashkenazi Jewish woman with a strong family history of breast cancer and BRCA, so I know a thing or two about breast cancer. And this is my podcast, The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, this podcast is for you. Each episode, I sit down with top breast cancer experts, thrivers, providers, and those that love them to bring you the breast information. So get ready to learn, laugh, and let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please refer to your doctor with any symptoms or concerns you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. Okay, Brassies, I'm about to blow your mind with this podcast conversation with Dr. Beth Dupree. Dr. Dupree is an author and a breast surgical oncologist by training, but she has dedicated the last few decades of her career to integrative therapies in cancer care. We talk all about her research with psilocybin in cancer care, spirituality, physician burnout, and so much more. I hope you are as obsessed with this conversation as I am, and a huge, huge thank you to my guest podcast producer, Katie Dwyer. Dr. Beth Dupree, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you, Rob. I'm excited to be here. I um I love what you're doing. I love um I'll probably try to rope you into it. I have to uh, rewrite a chapter of a book that's an international book called Breast Cancer Global Quality Care. And I was asked to head up the chapter on who controls the message, which is about um how do we as cancer surgeons and um, cancer doctors who treat cancer patients, how do we help get the right information in front of our patients? And um, it's a it's a pretty big, you know, Carrie Kaufman, who heads up the NCBC, he asked me to head up this chapter, Deanna Atai. I don't know if you know Deanna, but she's our past president of the ASBS. She um, headed up this chapter previously. And I'm just putting, you know, I, I have a team of people we're putting together, but I really want other people who do stuff in media to weigh in on this because it's a big, it's a big deal how people get their information. A hundred percent. Don't ask me twice. I am, I'm signing up for this chapter. I think, you know, I did a radiology residency in Botswana when I was a resident at Penn. I know wow. we, we over Penn. Um, and just seeing how breast cancer is treated in the globally is shocking. Like we don't do screening, yeah. a lot of screening. And and just so the the importance on a global level of how social media can reach a larger audience. I just right. did this article recently in USA Today that about um, 25 to 40% of people get their uh, health information from social media, you know, especially in these under in underprivileged areas where they have less access to information like this. So I love spreading, you know, um, trusted information on a larger scale. So I'm very passionate about that as well. I'm sure you've, I'm sure you know, have you met Marisa Weiss who started breastcancer.org? Uh, Marisa is a very dear friend of mine. She's a dear friend of mine. And I, I love, you know, I love breastcancer.org. I've done, I've done a ton of um, webinars for them because to, to be able to have a place to send your patient, to type in their pathology, to know that it's good information, it's vetted, and, you know, I helped to put together the whole integrative medicine piece that's part of um, it's part of breastcancer.org because it's so important. I love that. 
It is so important. And I, I have become a more of a spiritual person over the last few years, which I know you have too. Actually, I think our timeline is about the same. So I kind of found you through my interest in that your name kept popping up as someone who is in the forefront of integrative um, wellness, especially in cancer care. So tell me about that. How did you get here to this place where you are at? <laughs> well, I, first of all, I love that you haven't read my book yet because you don't know that much about me. Because nope. if you had read the book, you'd know everything. But um, I, in nineteen, in the mid, in, I guess nineteen ninety six, right after my um, second son was born, one of my mm-hmm. dear friends, who was my breast imager and radiologist, Lauren Laverty, mm-hmm. was diagnosed with. Um, a grade three astrocytoma with leptomeningeal infiltration while she was pregnant with her baby. Uh, so, and her journey and my girlfriend, Chris O'Donnell, who was an orthopedic surgeon diagnosed with ALS, another friend, Chris Freunhofer, who was diagnosed with colon cancer, all these doctors, uh, you know, Bill Daly, who was diagnosed with um, melanoma. I mean, I had four colleagues that I worked with very closely who all had really crappy diagnoses. And it just, it was like this wake up call that I can train all these years to do what I do, but unfortunately, Western medicine does not have all the answers. Luckily, Lauren Laverty, my girlfriend is alive and well. She's fabulous. She's no longer a practicing radiologist, but she's phenomenal and healthy and amazing. And, you know, she was given a very, grim prognosis from the first surgeon that she saw at Penn. And I didn't like his attitude. It's like, you know, don't take someone's hope away. You know, he was, he was, he did not have a good bedside manner. Um, and then my other three friends who, my other three colleagues um, have all subsequently passed of their diseases, but you learn from, you learn from them. You watch how they walk their journey. So back in 1996, when Lauren um, went through her stuff. She gifted me many lives, many masters um, from Brian Weiss. She gave all of us these books. And and of course, it sat on my bedside stand for a while because I didn't have time to read it or I didn't make time to read it. But I was very involved in helping her find clinical trials um, and find things to do. And she um, decided that she was going to participate in this form of Japanese energy healing called Reiki, which was very interesting because I didn't know what it was. You know, I, I always joke and I say, I, I knew how to Reiki my leaves, but I didn't know what Reiki was. And <laughs> my girlfriend, my girlfriend, Amy Harvey, who's a gynecologist and was her, was her OB at the time. Um, Amy and I, instead of learning what Reiki was, we went and got trained with her, which in and of itself was an amazing experience because we were both on call that weekend, but the universe provided us the time to to learn this beautiful healing modality. And then we brought Chris O'Donnell because when Chris was diagnosed with ALS, which was a little bit after Lauren's cancer, we had a group of really amazing physicians, Barbara Schlager, who was a radiation oncologist, Amy, a gynecologist, myself, the surgeon, Lauren, the, you know, the um, radiologist and Chris, the orthopedic surgeon. And we together um, learned from Nancy Sachs, who was our Reiki master. And we went through level one, level two, level three. And it really provided all of us the opportunity to support Lauren through her chemo and surgery and everything, to support Chris through her diagnosis and transition. But more importantly, it woke me up to learn how to be present 
with my patients in a very, very different way, where previously I may not have had that level of, you know, I, I take a patient in the OR, I have one hand on their, my right hand's on their heart when they go to the sleep, my left hand is holding their right hand, and I am taking them through a guided meditation so that they are not in fear while they go to sleep. And I've taken a lot of shit from, you know, the anesthesiologists over the years. And I'm like, I don't really care what you think. You know, even though you've given someone Versed, their consciousness knows that I'm there. They know that I'm present. And I've had patients come back and give me feedback about things that they're not supposed to be able to remember under anesthesia that happened. So I know in my heart of hearts that at their, at some level of their consciousness, they're so aware. And that's why I won't tolerate bad attitudes, bad behavior, negativity in my operating room, because our, our patients, they know, they know. So much of what you said has like resonated. I can't even tell you my heart is racing because, well, I, for one, um, many lies, many masters, um, by Dr. Brian Weiss is a book that has changed my life tremendously. I found it, it was sitting, I was actually given it when I was 18 years old. And I was like, what is this book? It seems so heavy. And I thought, forgot about it for the next, you know, 25 years. And then I don't know, it was recently given to me again. It was on my nightstand. I picked it up right before the pandemic. And it was like, my, my, my life has been changed forever just because I have a more global, just, I understand that, that there's consciousness, there's unconsciousness, there's life, you know, we could get into a whole spiritual talk, but just knowing that we are so much more than just our body, you know, we are our spirit, we are our soul and just, you know, looking at the bigger picture with healthcare is so important. Western medicine does not usually take the whole patient um, into account. His message was so profound. I mean, I actually went and um, I went and did past life regression training with him the like three weeks after 9-11. I mean, I, I went, I, I had gone on a cruise to Greece for my 40th birthday. Um, I had gone to Florida to do some of his seminars. And, you know, he and Carol are, are they're just dear friends. Um, their daughter, Amy, actually worked for me in my hospital in Ben Salem. Um, their son uh, lives, I don't, I'm not sure if he still lives in Philadelphia, but like, the, it was a, it was a very, very deep soul connection. And I went on my 40th birthday cruise with them the week before 9-11. So 22 years ago, I came back from that cruise and I had sent my partner, Stacy Kreischer, who's still my partner. Um, I sent Stacy to New York to do a board review course because she just finished her residency. And she was actually in a hotel in, in Manhattan when the twin towers dropped. And oh I had God. come out. I had come out in between surgeries and saw that second plane hit the tower. And during our cruise that week before, James von Prague, who's an amazing medium, um, we had done a meditation on the um, on the ship. The we, we were under sail. The captain had turned off the engines, and we had done a meditation that day. And James von Prague had said, "Our world is about to change in ways that I can't even describe." And if I told you what I see in my mind's eye, no one's going to believe it. But these souls were all brought together for a reason at this point in time. That night after the meditation, in the middle of the Aegean Sea, like hours outside of hours outside of Kushadasi, Turkey, we picked up two Afghani refugees who had been on a 
raft trying to escape from Afghanistan because of the of the conditions. We brought them uh-huh. on board. Um, the crew, we, we then turned our engines on those. We took them safely into um, Greek waters. And, and like it was probably about two in the morning, I don't know, one or two in the morning. And right outside my window, like this is a whole big ship outside my window. I'm watching these refugees get off our boat into the Hellenic Coast Guard. I still have photos of it. And it was after that that I went into the bathroom and I started writing my book, The Healing Consciousness. That's when I started automatic writing in my book. And it was absolutely crazy because I didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, four days later, the Twin Towers drop and our world changes. Wait, so you started writing The Healing Consciousness a week, like three days before 9-11. Yes. And right after you read Many Lives, Many Masters, you're on this yep. cruise for your fourth birthday yep. with Brian Weiss. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that, I mean, talk, I believe that um, a coincidence is God's way of winking at you. It's yep. like a God incident. A God incident. Um, God incident. Oh, I love that. Um, so the timing of everything that you're describing is actually crazy because the timing of when I discovered this book was right before my 40th birthday. And I, I mentioned about the right before the pandemic, but right after that, my, 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 my husband, my father-in-law passed away kind of unexpectedly. I was 39 weeks pregnant. A week later, my son was born and I, I had read this book. It was like, I needed that book at the right time. And then two months later, the COVID pandemic hit and if I did not have that book, I would not have had the tools to kind of get through it and grow. To me, it's it's it's, it's kind of like a, there's a couple books that are, should be required reading in life, and The Alchemist is one of them, and Many Lives, Many Masters is another one because um, we forget that we're all on this journey. We all we forget that we're on this beautiful, miraculous journey of life, and that um, when things happen in your life, you've got two ways to look at it. That that you can you can go to the darkness or you can choose to find the light and unfortunately covid brought allow around a lot of darkness and it was probably the light from that book that helped you to move forward and do what you're doing and and see things differently not only did it help me move forward it i i started the booby docs around that time too and when you talked about automatic writing it clicked for me i think that's what i was doing because i had wanted to start a blog forever. I didn't know if I was a doctor. I was a mom. I had an existential crisis, which I know you talk about, um, which is how I described it. And I don't know, like I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was a successful doctor. I had three kids, but I was not fulfilled is how I would describe it. And I was like, there was something in me that needed to get out. And I had my aha moment. I said, I'm the booby docs. I talk about breast, you know, I talked to breast cancer. Like I talked to myself, which goes on in my head all day long. And from then on, it's been like one, just one amazing thing after another. Like becoming spiritual has opened my eyes to just my inner voice, my, so much of that. And I love that you believe that too. I actually have a group of friends that we call ourselves the spirit sisters that we bonded over many lives, many masters. We've done Reiki, we've done past life regression, we've done energy healing, we've done it all. And I just, I constantly am learning. So that's why I'm here to introduce you to the next chapter, which had I not had I not had such a horrific experience in my professional practice. I, I am I, I was born in 1961. I grew up that drugs are evil. This is your brain on drugs. The two eggs in the frying pan, you know, was not a fan of legalization of marijuana. Um, clearly not someone, you know, never did LSD, 
I was, that was the anti-drug doctor. Mm-hmm. And I'm also anti-big pharma, which, you know, people say, well, you shouldn't say that. But I think so many times we have taken the shortcut to treat symptoms and functional medicine is all about getting back to the root cause. And if we don't rewind healthcare, like we are at an inflection point right now that COVID should be this wake up call. Because when you look at who died during COVID, the vast majority of people are people that were not healthy and they were not mentally healthy. They were not physically healthy. They had metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes, hypertension, all these underlying diseases. And it's our opportunity to have this reset. And that's where, you know, I, I can't just keep doing the same thing. I was on tumor board this morning, you know, at 4am out here. And I, I'm listening to, as we tell the story of these patients, but to me, their story begins at that point of diagnosis where you say, what are your opportunities for improvement in your life? What are your early childhood traumas that we have to deal with? I never knew what ACEs or adverse childhood events were until I got trained in psychedelic therapy. But it's all those adverse childhood events, those things that happen in your lives pre-cancer that gets unpacked and unloaded on the floor of the doctor who's willing to listen. But a lot of doctors, it's like, treat them and street them, treat them and street them, give them their drugs, send them on their way. And to me, I can't do that anymore because as a, you know, my job was being a doctor. My career was a breast surgeon. My calling is being a healer. And I don't heal people by cutting out their cancer and sending them out in the world without the tools to bring them to a higher level of consciousness because they're going to be empty. And your body keeps score. Something is going to happen that's going to go in that next step. I, so I'm like squirming in my seat because there's just so much you're saying that just resonates. Like You're so cute. You kept me up <laughs> with your little, with your little bedazzled, smiley, winky shirt. I love it. You know what? I'm trying to reach a younger generation with breast cancer awareness. So this is where we are. Yeah. Right. Um, when you talk about, you know, all these traumas that you go through in life that you kind of you never really process. You kind of push it away, push it away. And that's how this recently, like I just had Reiki for the first time and she was explaining to me that we push it down and then it leads to chronic illness. It leads to pain, suffering. And we just, if we could just properly deal with that and let it go and move forward with our life, then we will all be better as, you know, as a whole and as a collective consciousness. I know we talk about that a lot. I love what you said about the reset, because I do think that COVID was a wake-up call for a lot of people. You know, 9-11 is a wake-up call for a lot of people. It just makes you reassess what you're doing with your life and where you want to go. Yeah, but but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't know, I don't know what you've been seeing mm-hmm. in your world of healthcare delivery, but um, the irony is I was, I was asked to give a keynote address on physician burnout in April of 2020 funny, you know, timing. Uh Um, I obviously ended up having to give it remotely. Mm -hmm. But what happened was, as I was preparing the lecture, I was like, Jesus, this is me. (laughs) Right. Every slide I'm going at, and I'm like, I go, because I have a huge reserve. Like I, you know, God gave me this tank where I, it's constantly being filled from the top as I'm giving from the bottom. Mm -hmm. But there's a point that you reach where you can no longer just keep going on. I, I, I did, you know, close to 250 cancers a year out here by myself in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And you can't give, 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 give if you're not able to refill and receive. And I actually reached that point, but it was that 
it was reaching that point mm -hmm. that gave me the gift of taking this deep plunge into psychedelic therapy, which I never in a million years would have thought I had. Have you read, um, have you read Mike and Pollan's book? Um, How to Change Your Mind? No, <laughs> no, but I watched a Netflix documentary. Okay. So the, the Netflix documentary is great. Uh -huh. It's great. I, it was, so this is where you, you're going to think this is really funny because this uh -huh. is how the universe works for me. I was giving a lecture on lifestyle modification for breast cancer risk uh -huh. reduction in January, 2020. So I was preparing the lecture in December, 2019. So as I'm preparing the lecture, Michael Pollan wrote this book called Food Rules, which I love. So I'm trying to pull some slides off the internet. And when I Googled his name, this book comes up with a picture of a window opening up to the sky and it's called How to Change Your Mind. I thought, whoa, he's got a new book about how to change your mind about nutrition. So I put it in my Audible and I'm driving to the OR and I'm like, God, this dude is talking about LSD <laughs> and magic mushrooms. I didn't even know how to spell suicide in 2019. Uh -huh. So it was a, for me, it was a really um, interesting departure from this closed in world that, that we have in healthcare. And so I did what every self-respecting doctor does. I go and I pulled all the data. Um, Bill Richards, who had done, um, and Roland Griffiths, who had done the research in Johns Hopkins and cancer patients uh -huh. with psilocybin, single-dose psilocybin in end-stage cancer patients. And I'm like, okay, so the 70% the of these people had a life-changing experience. It was one of the top three experiences of their life. And for like 40%, it was the most impactful experience in life, even people who didn't believe in God, people who didn't have a spiritual core. And I thought, all right, we're missing the boat here because if I know that our souls are eternal, but whatever stuff you don't heal in this lifetime, you're going to take it along. That's going to be your baggage to bring to the next space. So that was where I said, okay, I can continue to be part of the status quo or, and believe me, people when I became board certified in integrative medicine, they're like, wow, you're going out on a limb. When you talk about, right. you know, angels and past life regression, you're out on a limb. I'm like, God, I'm on a branch now in this tree. But psychedelic therapy, is, it got such a bad rap because of how things unfolded at, in Harvard, you know, back in the 60s with Timothy Leary and, and, and Ram Das. And, I, you know, it's a shame because having that spiritual, having that entheogenic, that, that, that experience. And I've done this legally. I've gone to other countries so that I could get trained to do this appropriately. Mm -hmm. And once you see, you cannot unsee. Once you recognize what is out there for um, us to be able to help people heal. And I am not, I am not a fan of legalization of these entheogens for recreation. These are God molecules, psilocybin, ayahuasca and boga like these are god molecules these are molecules that can open up someone's consciousness and their heart to a completely different level of healing so i don't believe that these should be recreational drugs used by kids at parties because there are a lot of contraindications to this and if you do not use these molecules in the appropriate set and setting things can go bad and that's where you know, states that are legalizing stuff willy-nilly without the guardrails, to me, it is potentially hurting our ability as clinicians and doctors and practitioners to be able to provide souls with 
the best opportunity to see that inner view of who they are at a soul level. Yeah, I do think it's a missed opportunity to, you know, because I think that there is such a role for, um, for this type of therapy. I stumbled upon this because I started, I, I watched Fantastic Fungi, which kind of, again, I stumbled onto that, opened my eyes. Louis, love him. And, yeah, is that, uh, and I was just, I didn't know this existed. Like I didn't, and they talk specifically about, um, psychedelics in breast cancer care and how I know his, uh, Paul Stamets, his mom was healed. Yeah. Um, from, well, she, she had a, she had a HER2 positive tumor mm-hmm. and she did the HER, the HER Herceptin, her regular treatment. Right. But she also added, in, in addition, addition, she utilized medicinal mushrooms, you know, turkey tail and lion's mane and, and Paul Stamets is, a, he, he's a beautiful soul. I got to see him in person in Denver at the psychedelic conference. What a great guy. But, and he didn't say to his, he didn't say to his mom, Hey mom, don't do the Herceptin for your cancer. He said, in addition to that, let's go back and utilize some of these uh, medicinal mushrooms that, you know, like I, there, there's a thing called the Stamets stack where you use niacin and, uh-huh. and uh, lion's mane and microdose psilocybin for mental clarity. And it's like, Mm-hmm. The studies are being done. The data is being collected. And the hard part about all of this is these are not molecules that drug companies can easily go out and recreate because you can make a pill with psilocin, but psilocybin, the actual mushroom, has many other psychoactive components within it that you can't replicate that. Like it's it's part of that molecule as it grows, this beautiful psychedelic mushroom. I think, um, I think it's so important what you said is that, you know, you do the traditional therapy, the, you know, the, the proven therapies that have been treated, you know, for your specific cancer, but this is something supplemental that will help you heal on the inside as well. Right. And it makes sense of what is happening to you. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, this is one of the things that's so important about what you're doing with your podcast. You're not telling patients, I, I, you know, Women need to get screened. They, early detection saves lives. All, you know, chemotherapy in the appropriate patients with tumors that are going to respond. The more we learn, the more we can customize this process to treat the physical body. Right. But treating the physical body is the very first step. You then have to treat the, the longest distance in your body, the 18 inches between your head and your heart. Once your body is treated, connecting that 18 inches where your soul and your consciousness are connected so that you can move forward in your life, healthy, whole, and complete, regardless of whether your path is to transition out of that body or whether your path is to remain in your physical body, but grow in a way that that cancer opportunity is that spiritual, it's that opportunity for your soul to expand and become more than you are. A hundred percent. I mean, I've heard um, cancer described as a life quake. It's like, I like that. when your your whole, what you know is shifted. What shakes you to your core. Exactly. And if cancer doesn't shake the patient to their core, they are in denial. They are in a mm-hmm. box of, and I've had patients do that where, oh, it's DCIS, I got a mastectomy. I'm going to be cured. I'm perfect. I'm, I'm like all tucked up. And two years later, they died right. of an invasive cancer that they never had to begin with. Because it was that denial mode is, it's so detrimental to 
because you've got to let go of the shit. You've got to let go of the stuff you hold on to. Totally. So what role do psychedelics play in cancer care? Like, how are they used? So currently, um, the most prevalent use in this country is either in a clinical trial mm-hmm. with psilocybin, which um, ha- is being studied in multiple different centers. Uh, Steve Ross is about to study LSD in cancer care at NYU. Mm-hmm. So the psilocybin, um, the LSD, MDMA, they're done in clinical trials in the United States right now. The only psychedelic or the only entheogen that's being used clinically in the U.S. right now for cancer care is ketamine. And this is what's so interesting because as a surgeon, we avoided ketamine in our adult patients forever because they'd say, oh, they're going to have horrible nightmares. It's really bad. It's a dissociative. But ketamine actually comes from a fungus, believe it or not. So it is a naturally occurring substance. But ketamine at a lower dose can be used in cancer care, number one, to stimulate the NMDA receptor to decrease the amount of uh, morphine or drugs that someone needs when they're transitioning or when they're when they're dealing with metastatic disease. But number two, what a lot of people don't understand is depression in cancer is not the same as depression in the general population. Studies are done that show that the SSRIs do not treat depression in cancer any better than a placebo. So you're not we're not fixing people with that. But the depression in cancer many times is associated with the existential crisis of, oh my God, I'm living on borrowed time. This could be the end of my life. And this is where I believe ketamine can really shine in cancer care because um, ketamine is FDA cleared for refractory depression, which means depression that is not able to be treated with traditional therapy. And in those patients, that ketamine journey can be the game changer where they um, can actually come to grips with the diagnosis. Um, Ketamine is an amazing molecule. I um, have had an experience in my training to be able to utilize it. I will tell you at first, I thought, oh, this, there's no way like I'm going to become, I was all about the mushrooms and the psilocybin, I mean, the psilocybin and the ayahuasca and the, you know, the, the, the things that grow in the ground. And of course, then I find an article that ketamine comes from a fungus, but my personal ketamine experience showed me what could be an opportunity for that finding that sense of peace for someone who's gone through cancer. So it's a program that um, Mm -hmm. it's one of the things that I am going to be starting this fall is we're going to look at using ketamine in cancer care um, at Redeemer back in Pennsylvania. My CEO, Mike Lane, is um, he's 100% behind this because he's recognized through the years. He's like, you're always a little bit ahead of the curve on these things. So like, I kind of have to listen to you. Mm -hmm. And our mental wellness has to become a priority because I have said this over and over again. If we cure someone's body of cancer, but they sit around the darkness waiting for their cancer to come back, we have not healed them. We have not helped them heal. And this is where utilizing all of our state-of-the-art, cutting-edge Western medicine can treat the cancer. But now I want to bring this next aspect, which in the, in the beginning, it's going to be ketamine in a clinical setting for the appropriate diagnostics and, and therapeutics. And I plan to begin doing retreats um, out of the U.S., where it is legal to, for psilocybin in early stage breast cancer patients, because I don't, I, I want to do research here in the U.S. in early stage cancer patients, 
But while we're doing the research, I also want to have the opportunity to be able to facilitate healing at a very deep level for people who want to go and, and they don't, you know, getting into clinical trials are right now with psilocin, the pill. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what um, organizations like USONA are doing and they're doing great work. But I really think there's something to be said for using the actual plant molecule. Mm-hmm. There's a female um, state legislator in Pennsylvania who I plan to get on her schedule. She's a veteran and she's pushing for Pennsylvania to actually use true psilocybin mushrooms for research. So that's another one of my, like, it's one of my things to do when I'm back in Pennsylvania. I love that. And when and my son just bought a house in her district, like her district comes down into Montgomery, in Montgomery County. And my son's house is like in the very tiny little corner. And I'm thinking, okay, how did that happen? <laughs> but it was meant to be. The universe winking at you. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. Um, you were meant, you must have a meeting with her. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So, I have so many questions and I know my listeners probably have a million questions too. So I'm going to try to ask, ask what I think that they're going to want to know. Go for it. So what does a treatment session look like? And like, who are your patients you're looking for? Like who would benefit from this? So with, with ketamine therapy, what we're get, what I'm really going to be mm-hmm. focusing in, on is patients who have depression um, that's coming. They may have had some before cancer, but cancer exacerbates it yeah. where it's clinically indicated because I, you know, I live in a world where you, you, you got to follow the rules and the rules are, you know, ketamine is approved for refractory depression. So the plan is to put together the program so that we will be able to bring patients in where they'll have the appropriate intake. Um, many of them will already have a therapist. Um, it'll be a protocol that comes out of Yale with, you know, two treatments, one week followed by a week later, two days of treatments back to back. Um, and this is not massively high dose ketamine, but that's then going to follow up with the most important thing, which is integration. And integration is that period where you take the pearls from what you got out of your session and you mm-hmm. basically integrate them into your life. You bring them back to that place. Now, I spent the last two years of my life getting trained by synthesis, um, MAPS, mm-hmm. and um, CIIS, which are all very um, very long-standing organizations, well, long-standing as they can be in this world, where, you know, the whole goal was basically to look at how we can bring these therapeutic modalities into our Western medical world. So, you know, I'm a rule, I got to follow rules. I'm bringing them in, in a Mm -hmm. goal form. I hope to be doing research on psilocybin within the next year. That's the, that's like the next level of what I want to do. And in the meantime, I plan to, um, put together retreats to, we'll be leaving the country because you got to do it legally. But I want to be able to put together retreats because um, I believe in this so wholeheartedly, but I have to do it in a legal set and setting yeah. where we will have the guardrails, we will have the support, and we're going to be able to bring patients into a new level of awareness. Ideally, I want to be able to do these retreats for doctors because doctors are hurting. Our profession is hurting. People are breaking. And I would rather be able to try to help my colleagues to maintain balance in their practices than quit their day jobs. I mean, I have, uh, I have colleagues who are doing one day of oncology a week because they're so burnt out. And I know that I can never go back to five days a week and oh be a practicing I... surgeon because it literally, it literally took the wind out of my sails. And I never thought that could happen. 
it sucks the life out of you. It's exhausting. I don't, you know, I don't know why it's like that, but I do think it's so important to have that balance of, of being, of, yeah. of understanding why are we here? What is my purpose? Right. And having those really hard conversations with yourself. There you go. So the first time you have a retreat for doctors, sign me up. My husband, I'll bring him too. <laughs> he thinks I'm a little woo woo. He thinks I'm a little crazy, but it's okay. So does my husband, but he's on the bus now. Yeah. My husband's like about to board. He doesn't know it yet, but I'm I'm in the process of finishing my second and third book. The second book is called Shifting Years, mm-hmm. which is really about um how my life has shifted. I it's shifted in ways I never expected, but it's really an homage to my dad who told us that you had to learn how to drive a stick shift. You had to learn how to shift gears so that you could be focused in that process and not scattered all over the place, which is what happens in our world of automation. And my third book came out of my um, my first journeys with ayahuasca back in 2022, where it wasn't in the ayahuasca sessions. It was actually in the breathwork session after the ayahuasca mm-hmm. that I was given this vision of what I need to do with physicians. And the book is called Arrhythmia of the Soul, Ooh. which I believe will resonate with our healthcare providers where I like um, looking, at, looking at different mental and life situations where they're related to an arrhythmia, which I think physicians can resonate with. And in there, I was, it was very clear that I need to be bringing doctors together to help them in a, um, you know, years ago, I tried to go to a retreat for physicians for self-care and it got canceled because nobody would sign up for it. Oh my, but I got to bring that. That's got to happen. I got to bring that into fruition. I have a, I was given the opportunity to work with this beautiful, um, uh, she's amazing, Sarah Loudon. She's actually running a conference I'm speaking at in September, mm-hmm. if you want to come in Philly. Oh. It's called Total Health, and it's an oncology, and I'm going to be speaking on integrative oncology. But when I talked to Sarah about doing these retreats for physicians, because she's the queen of, of medical CME for oncology, uh-huh. um, she's recognized because of her own personal journey, the importance of this. And what people don't understand is you do not need to take a substance, an entheogen, to have an experience. You can do it through breath work. You can do it through your breath. And that's why I believe Mother Ayahuasca gave me that gift. I didn't get my big message during Ayahuasca. I got my message the day after in breath work, which was that in order for me to get my colleagues to kind of get on this bus... I have to have a safe way for them to enter and the safe way to enter is through breath work. And I'm, I'm actually, we, I did my training for psychedelics during COVID. So I'm finally doing my Stan Groff holotropic breath work workshop the first weekend in October in San Francisco, because, you know, they said they were going to provide it to us. So I'm going out there the first weekend in October. And I think after that, I'm going to be able to formulate what this first retreat's going to look like for physicians and I want to do it here in Sedona because mm-hmm. I believe that, you know, the universe called me to this beautiful healing place for a reason. And you'll be there. You'll be on the retreat. Every time you say something, I'm like, I put that in my calendar. I want to go to all the things you mentioned because I love everything you're, you're putting down. Um, you know, you talked about so many things that I want to get to. I mean, doctors, burnout, mental health, like we are just a mess. Like we don't even realize it because we're just so, we deal with dying and death every day. Yeah. We are overworked. We are burnt out, you know, especially during the COVID pandemic. We, you know, and we don't get to, f- to focus on ourselves. And by the time we do, it's like too late. You know, it's like, you're like, how did I get here? Why is my life like this? So 
putting a break on that with, with this kind of breath work and maybe even other things is so important. I love all that. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. And like the more I hear about it, the more I'm like, tell me more. Like I've never been so curious about anything in my life. All I'm doing in my conversation with right you right now is I'm putting fuel on the fire that the fire is burning in your belly. All I'm doing is igniting it a little bit more because oh, sometimes you need this. Like, you know, I, I had a radio show for a couple of years called the Medical View East Meets mm-hmm. West. And then I did another radio show called, you know, um, mm-hmm. Women to Watch with Sue Rocco after I was a guest. And we have an opportunity to bring messages to the world, which is why, you know, you participating in this little project with this book is like, mm-hmm. our, our, our voice, and, and I, I know like one of my greatest gifts is as a speaker, um, to inspire people, as a writer. And I know that that's what this next chapter of my life is. And whether it's talking to patients, whether it's talking, I'm doing a talk for Ernst & Young in October for the women in technology mm-hmm. to talk about, because I'm working with three really transformative companies right now, like bringing new technologies mm-hmm. into health and wellness. And I got there because I can't just sit back and say, it's okay and it's enough to cut out a cancer because that does not change the environment that those cancer cells grew in. You know, that soil needs to change or seeds are going to grow again. And I know that's why you're doing what you're doing because you could sit around every day and be a great breast imager and find cancers tiny. But if you only are finding those tiny cancers and you're not concerned about what happens to those women and men down the end of that line, you're selling yourself short. A hundred percent. I mean, once I found my voice through spirituality and, and all these things, I feel like my purpose is clear. It's like to get this message to a younger audience who needs it, you know, through social media, through writing, through speaking. These are all things I love. I'm actually writing a book right now too, which we could talk about on the, I know. Um, and I'm so inspired after speaking with you, um, on all these projects, I actually just cut down clinically because I realized I need to focus on this. And my time is so valuable. I also have three young kids, which, you know, and they're my priority as well. So just trying to find this balance. And once you see this message, you're like, you can't unsee it. And now I know that this is my purpose. And I feel like I love coming in contact with people like you who really inspire me to do more and know that I'm on the right path. You totally are. And we could always do more. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And you could, I think you're young enough to have been my child. Which, which really makes me happy because it's one of the reasons why I, it's one of the reasons why I teach young breast surgical oncologists. I love that you do that. About this journey. And I share my journey with them because one of the talks I'm going to do at the end of September, I call it now, what's my why? Where I share with them where I started in my journey and where I am now, because I don't ever want anyone to miss an opportunity because they say, well, I'd love to do that, but I'm a surgeon. Right. Let's screw that. You know? I'm a surgeon, but I'm not a writer, but I figured out how to write. Mm-hmm. I'm not a public, I got a C in public speaking in high school. I'm a pretty damn good public speaker. And, you know, I'm not, uh, it's it, so it's by reminding us as souls that we have a limitless possibilities. Mm-hmm. And so when things mm-hmm. come up, don't look at them as, well, I'd love to do that, but say, wow. If it resonates with your soul, it's only going to make you a better human being. It's going to make you a better mother. It's going to make you a better wife. It's going to make you a better doctor and a better healer. A hundred percent. I always feel like that one of my strengths in life has been 
saying, I'm a yes girl. Like whatever comes my way, I'm like, yeah, like I'm going to do that. I'm going to move to New York for med school. I'm going to do this thing. And just listening to what brings my soul joy, I think has has gotten me here. Like no one ever goes to med school saying, I'm going to be a breast radiologist and 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 an influencer on social media, you know? Yeah. It's like, how do we get here? It's by listening to things that bring us joy and to what resonates with you. At what is my life outside of the reading room? I love my job. I never want to stop practicing clinically. I, I love that I could help women. And I know I play such an important role because as a breast radiologist, I am the one giving a diagnosis, right? So helping people in whatever small way I can make sense of their diagnosis, deal with it. However, you know, I, I try to set them up as best as I can. I wish you could come to our course the end of September in Chicago because you would you would eat it up. You can watch the lectures online on the hcf444.org website, but yeah. we'll talk offline then because yeah. if you can get out there, I think I think it would be something that would be really, really good for you at this point in your career because mm-hmm. it's, um, I, we have a bunch of fellows, like one of my fellows, Dr. Um, Stefania Milani, she's now a practicing surgeon at, Abing, um, at you know, Jefferson Abington. And she never came to the course way back when because she was prego. And uh, she came last year and she loved it so much. She goes, I want to come back this year. I'll pay my way. I don't care. I want to come and I want to talk to these young surgeons because she's like 10 years out now. Mm-hmm. About And I, I call this talk, if I knew them what I know now. And she's that. like, I'm coming. I want to talk to these guys. I want them to know that it's not just about the money that they're going to get made in the contract. It's not just about, you know, the city that you're going to be in, like, we we make poor choices sometimes as doctors because we think we're doing the right thing. And I mean by poor choices, taking a job somewhere because you're going to make more money or taking a job somewhere because it's it's close to whatever. Instead of taking sitting back and going, all right, what resonates with my soul? And mm-hmm. my, you know, my sister is a psychologist. I love her to death. She's my one of my older sisters. And you know, she, she always says like, if it's something that doesn't make your heart sing, you got to learn to say no. And if it makes your heart sing, then you got to step in that shower and just sing that, sing it, sing it, sing it, because that's where you're going to grow. And for me, you know, early on in my career, taking care of cancer patients made my heart sing. But after working in a health system where there was a complicitness of cover up and a lack of transparency, my voice, I lost my voice for singing in primary cancer care. I lost my voice there. And, you know, one of the reasons that I came back to Pennsylvania is, you know, at Redeemer, you know, I built that program. I love my partners. I love my community there. And, you know, I love the fact that I started the process that connected us with Cooper MD Anderson with our breast cancer program. We have a phenomenal program. Mm -hmm. And to be able to come back and work part-time to support that program through some transition is really a gift. Unbelievable. I did a bunch of biopsies. You know, I, I didn't have breast imagers when I started years ago. Uh-huh. So I did all the biopsies from 1996 on, you know, I did my own stereos and ultrasounds and MRI biopsies. And I, I love that connection with my patients because I'm damn good with my hands. I'm a surgeon, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until I had dedicated breast imagers that, you know, when I was out here in Arizona, I had four beautifully talented, dedicated breast imagers and I stopped doing the majority of my biopsies because they were so good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And they cared about how they delivered that message to the patients. Not just, you know, I've had, I've had other colleagues 
who have had a radiologist walk in the room and go, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. You have breast cancer. It's like, holy shit. That's not the way that you deliver a diagnosis. Right. I mean, it's such a variation. And so when you get a good breast radiologist, good breast surgeon working together as a team, like beautiful things happen, like patients thrive. That's what we're going for, like working together. Absolutely. There's so much I want to ask you about everything. But um, one of the things I really love and admire about you is that you stand up for unpopular things like psilocybin and psychedelics. How has this affected your career professionally and how do you deal with the haters? Well, there's always going to be haters. I, it's funny. It's funny you say that because recently, one of the companies I'm working with, we have a technology that's a non-narcotic pain patch and um, I'm working to take it through the FDA mm-hmm. and there's a social media hater. Like she's been attacking us. It's a long story, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I always believe that I was working on a response to her in an email, a very thoughtful response. And I saw a post she did the other day where she, someone said something in, in her feed. Are you allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> okay. So I, I, I read this message the other day uh-huh. um, that, she had, that she had put out to, um, to somebody who uh, I don't think she liked what they had said. Yeah. And someone said something that she didn't like. And... Oh, here it is. Go F yourself. But she didn't She didn't cover that up. Get off my feed, you pathetic sack of shit. Oh, wow. And this is a physician. Oh, This yeah. is a physician on social media. That's horrible. Yeah. And listen, I drop the F bomb all the <laughs> right. time. Everybody else uh-huh. tell you that. Like at my 50th birthday, the breast cancer support group made a bunch of plastic balls with Fs on them. They threw uh-huh. them at me because they said I literally threw the F bomb, which I do. That's so funny. <laughs> but... If somebody makes a comment on your feed and you don't like it, to me, that is the most unprofessional response ever. Yeah. So if if somebody says something to me that is contrary to what I've said about psilocybin or Reiki or energy healing or past lives, my response would be, um, you know, thank you for your, thank you for your comments. Um, And you're absolutely entitled to your opinion because the last time I checked, we live in a country where we are entitled to free speech. I may, we may not agree, but I will agree to disagree. And you're, you know, you're welcome to your opinion, mm-hmm. but so am I. Right. I am welcome to my opinion. And because, because the things I choose to post on social media are typically evidence and data driven, like the, the, one of the last things I posted was a, a study on psilocybin for depression um, and I, it was a really well done study. My comment was basically, it's time that we rethink how we look at mental wellness. And I, I, I didn't say, hey, everybody go out and buy mushrooms and, and do them illegally. It's, right. <laughs> it's as a healthcare profession, we need to rethink that. Years ago, when I started doing integrative medicine, I didn't tell my patients not to take chemo and radiation or do their surgery or their drugs. I said to them, in addition to what we're doing with your physical body, Let's look at how yoga and meditation and breathwork can facilitate this. Let's look at how exercise oncology, which is one of the hottest new fields, because our bodies crave physical motion. Like this morning, I got up with my husband. We did 45 minutes of breathwork after my 4 a.m. tumor board. Wow. <laughs> I can tell you that the mornings that we don't do it, I am not nearly as balanced and centered. And it's this breathwork isn't like sitting around going... 
Mm-hmm. It's very physical breath work because it stimulates your vagus nerve. So, you know, I'm, and right now, because I'm working with three companies, one that's bringing psychedelics into the world called Gateway Sciences, another one that's bringing transformative, what I call electroceutical technologies, mind vibe. Um, the company's called Interstill. You know, we're doing studies in addiction. I want to do more studies in cancer care. I've been using these technologies because this technology helps to take you out of fight or flight and stimulate your vagus nerve and bring you into rest and digest. And staying in cortisol storm is not good for cancer patients, you know? And then the third technology is a non-narcotic pain patch that I fell into called Signal Relief and Jovi. I got introduced to them through a documentary that I did. And I said to them, I know that this works. Like me knowing this works isn't good enough. I need to have the science, the data, the safety information to take this to the FDA to be able to bring it into Western medicine. Mm -hmm. And so right now, are there haters out there? Absolutely. And you know what? They're entitled to their opinion. But what I'm doing is I am trying to stay above the fray, to stay above board, to not make unsubstantiated claims, to be able to walk through this journey, um, you know, I'm going to carry a big stick right now because I think big pharma is going to be after me. Mm-hmm. If we can improve the lives, the everyday lives of people by alleviating pain without narcotics, if we can improve the lives of individuals decreasing their stress, their anxiety, you know, helping them sleep better, which we know sleep helps to alleviate the, the depression. Mm-hmm. If we can utilize psychedelic therapies through ketamine and psilocybin and MDMA, to help people get rid of PTSD. And, you know, I didn't know what PTSD was until I was targeted by Mm -hmm. professionals in an institution because I was bringing out publicly what they were all trying to hide. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know what it was. And then ultimately to me, the breath work is the piece that it's free. It's available to all of us, whether it's yogic breath work, whether it's holotropic breath work, God, get, we were given these tools. Our body craves that level of balance. And I got a lot of tools in my toolbox. I'm going to be like Tim's tool time. I'm going to have my little tool belt on with all my little tool, tools. <laughs> Every different, you know, we're living in a world where people are self-medicating with marijuana and with alcohol every night and with isolation. And if we learn one thing from COVID, isolation is horrible. Um, and I believe we have the opportunity to utilize our electronic devices. Like every morning I'm doing my breath work on my Shiv Yoga with Ishan Shivanand. Like I'm using technology to help me stay centered. But too many people are living on TikTok and in Instagram and they're, they're escaping from their lives into their electronics. But we can use our electronics to reconnect us. Like I'm, I was on Zoom last night with my sisters because... I have a sister in the hospital and we utilize Zoom for the five of us to come together to say, how do we best support this woman who we love dearly, who needs to make some healthy changes in her life? Mm-hmm. And so that's where my book Shifting Gears comes in because technology has taken over our lives, but we have the opportunity to reframe how we use technology. Back when, before you were even practicing, we had crappy imaging with zero mammograms. Yeah. And now we have tomosynthesis, we have, you know, um, MRIs, we have contrast-enhanced uh, scanography. Yeah. We have technology that we can use to help us do better, Yeah. but those technologies only help us to identify 
what's physically happening in the body. Yes. And it's your job and my job as healers Mm -hmm. to, to bring together this 18 inches between our head and our heart and reconnect our beautiful minds and our consciousness to our souls. I am obsessed with everything you said because I, as you're speaking, I'm like guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm on my phone. I I feel distracted. I'm easily like I'm irritable, like all the things that it like you get from living in a modern society. We are all a work in progress. I know. And I, if I, you know, my, my husband calls it playing on my phone. Like when I'm answering patient calls and stuff and I get really offended because Uh back when I had a beeper, it was very easy because if I got paged, there was no question. I was uh-huh. being called as a doctor to care for a patient. Now, I don't get paged anymore. I get a message through Athena that I got to do something. Right. And there's no way for someone who's not looking at my phone to not know what I'm doing. Right. And so there's, you know, I'm my, my family doesn't know this yet, but they'll know it if they listen to this podcast. Like Thanksgiving, when they get here, all this stuff is going in a basket. Boom, in the basket. If you want to look at it for an hour a day, go for it. But it's so important. I want us playing Monopoly or Risk or cards or out hiking on the red rocks or cooking in the kitchen. Yeah. Because technology, it's the it's the blessing and the curse. And if we don't get a handle on how to live in community and concert with it, it's gonna take us over. Hundred percent. I think all of us need to get more balance. And like you said, the breath work in the morning. I need to get to that point too. I would really like. I know I need to be more centered because I'm easy, I'm so distracted. I'm so scatterbrained because I just have a million things going on. And how to rein that in a little bit? It's good stuff. I know. I definitely want to ask you about what what do treatment sessions actually look like for a patient that is coming to your psychedelic um, therapies? So at this point, um, to do legal sessions in the United States. It's it starts out beforehand with a, a massive intake where it's a pretty it's a very detailed psychosocial intake. It's a physical assessment to make sure there's no contraindications to doing ketamine um, therapy. And then the actual the actual session is quiet room, beautiful playlist, an IV. Um, typically the nurse is giving the um, is giving the ketamine Ketamine can be given in two ways. It can be in a quiet, dark room by yourself, or it could be done with a therapist doing therapy at the time of the ketamine, and, and people do it differently. Um, I I personally favor having your own personal inner journey mm-hmm. coming out of that, and then starting your integration process. You know, after the fact. How long? It's about uh, two hours. Two hours for the ketamine session. Okay. This is why as as people are, are getting trained in psychedelic therapy, they really need to have their own personal experiences because before I had an experience, I couldn't know. And my first experience with ketamine after my training, it was very beautiful. It was very calm. It was very, um, it was just a very peaceful, very safe place to be. Mm-hmm. I never felt though that I completely, because I am assuming you've got the same issues as me. It's very hard for us to give up control and to let go. And, and I have, I have found that that letting go piece is very hard and, uh-huh. yep. <laughs> and we can resist it or we can, re- we can resist these entheogens. My second session, I needed to get a little bit more off the planet, so to speak. Uh-huh. And I asked my colleague to come in and I said, if you would just sit there and like hold my foot, like, so I'm grounded because there was this, I had this fear of 
taking off into this place that would be so beautiful that I'd never want to come back. So with him sitting there holding my foot, I literally got launched and it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. Um, my mom had passed away a couple months earlier before then. And I was in a garden with, I didn't see her, but her energy was there, which was so cool because, um, I miss, I miss my mom. My mom had Alzheimer's, so I didn't really have her Mm -hmm. emotionally and mentally for the 15 years before she died. And, uh, what was really cool about that was as I was having that experience in the garden and I was explaining it to my colleague. And this is crazy. This is where there's no coincidence. His wife had texted him that there were these really cool plants that he wanted her to go get at Whole Foods mm-hmm. that she had never seen there. So after the fact, you know, I, I did this in LA. So we were driving through Beverly Hills on the way to the Whole Foods. And we pull into the parking lot of Whole Foods. And there is there are these plants, which they were my mom's favorite plants called an elephant ear. They're giant. They're beautiful. Clay's like, well, they've never had them here before. Oh, I love those. Uh-huh. So he buys the elephant ears. And I told him the story of being in the garden with my mom, with the elephant ears. Uh-huh. And he gets the text from his wife. Wow. So of course, I bought them elephant ears for their house. But that night, I called my sisters because I, w- I wanted to share with them that I'd been in the garden with our mom, that I thought it was pretty cool because mm-hmm. I loved the fact that I was able to have that experience. And as I was on the phone with them, I sent them a picture from the house. So I sent them the picture and those colors were on there. Wow. The purple and red on the border. The purple. Yeah. That's like, but that's what I was seeing in my journey. Whoa. And it shows up on the camera. Wow. And I took another picture because I didn't believe it, but it was gone. I took the picture while I was talking to my sisters. And when I wasn't talking about my mom, it was gone. Stop. That's totally her. That's her. That's her energy. Right. I know. I mean, to me, that was such a gift, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's people that can say, oh, well, your phone did this, but like, you know what, you can explain it however you want. Right. But the fact that, and then what's even crazier is my Whole Foods here in Sedona, mm-hmm. a couple months later, they had two of those plants at my store, which I bought one. And just this week, a pod came out of it that I had never, I never, ever saw the plant have a pod before. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I asked my sisters, I said, like, what, what gives with this? Cause like, I, I don't remember, um, mom's elephant ears ever having this pod, but it's this, wow. it's this new birth within my plant. That was absolutely gorgeous. Is that purple and red? It's pink. It, that's, it's pink. oh, wow. that, the purple is, the purple is the, uh, is the globe that I, I feed my plants with. But I was like, is that yeah. her again? Oh, that's amazing. Wow. So, so much new life coming out of that plant. When I think back to that experience, like I wasn't depressed when I went in to do it. Um, I didn't have, I don't, you know, for some people they can have experiences where they dissociate and they go back to prior traumas. That's why uh-huh. being in a safe setting to do it, you have to do it because particularly for like veterans or someone that's had sexual assault or something in their childhood, because a lot of times people don't even know the experiences that they had as a child because they have tucked them so far away in their subconscious, they can't even access them. And they may bubble up to the surface during these sessions. And that's a lot of times what happens. And that's why the integration is so important because you don't even know what you don't know. A hundred percent. I was just thinking of that as you said that. And you go back to past lives, I'm sure, with this kind of sessions. The belief is you can go to past lives, you can go to future lives, you can go to everything. So 
Wait, so it's like a two-hour ketamine session and then the post-integration. What is that like? Is that like a therapy session right after? The integration piece to me is by far the most important. The journey is wonderful, but without the integration, things can go sideways because you, you need someone to help you to put the pieces, to line them up. And so to not be able to, to not be able to integrate to me is why when people say they have a bad trip, yeah, you know, we're, when we're trained, we're taught, it's not that someone has a bad trip. It's that when you have an experience that's difficult, if you don't integrate it and you can't reframe it, and you can't bring it to a place where you are able to come to grips with it or, or put it in a different box, mm-hmm. then it could be a bad trip. And that's where, you know, right now with the, with the psychedelic training, what's so important is for all of us being trained in the United States, you know, ketamine is the legal experience you can have. You can go to some states now and have psilocybin, mm-hmm. but to do ayahuasca, to do anything else like iboga, which that beautiful entheogen has the ability to help people heal um, addiction. There's a documentary I saw in on psychedelics that mm-hmm. when it comes out, it's a must watch because it's a beautiful, beautiful um, expose on how iboga and ibogaine can help even the worst addicts. So um, I, I think we're in a really interesting place where ketamine is allowing us to step our toe in the water. MDMA, which is um, also known as Molly or ecstasy, mm-hmm. that drug is what MAPS is bringing through the FDA. And that will probably be the first drug that is legalized in the US and it'll be legalized for PTSD. And I think the reason why it's going to be the first drug is because there's bipartisan support because there's a lot of veterans that are dealing with PTSD and then psilocybin will most likely be next. Mm -hmm. But what we really have to do is as a society, we have to recognize how powerful these entheogens are. And if we do not bring them into our therapeutic world of health and wellness, if we don't do it in the appropriate set and setting with practitioners that have experience, um, we could bring harm to people. And our promise is to first do no harm. We took an oath when we became physicians, right? you know, to first do no harm. And I've seen people get harmed in this process. I've watched people go through experiences where they didn't have the right integration. And it is incredibly difficult to come out the other side um, without the help. Totally. Do people usually need more than one session or is it a one-time thing? In the psilocybin clinical trials, it was a single dose. Some people may need more than one session with ketamine. It's typically at least two days back-to-back followed by a week and then two days back-to-back. The one thing about ketamine is it's not a panacea. Psychedelics are not a panacea. Um, One of the beauties of ketamine that I think I'm hoping really becomes standard in the U.S. is Mm -hmm. ketamine for acute suicidal ideation I've had people that I've met on my journey who've been suicidal. And they said that the ketamine didn't cure their depression, but the ketamine allowed them to see the light, to know that there was a possibility so that they didn't choose to take their life. And that is something that I think becoming part of our standard emergency mental care is going to be huge. And then ketamine as an entheogen for cancer patients, I think is going to have a very big role because a lot of people that have an existential crisis it's not long-term depression. It's all the stuff that bubbles up that they've been able to repress prior to the cancer. I love all of it. I love speaking with you today. I've learned so much and I really just want to just keep talking to you forever, but I know you have a million things to do. We can always have a, uh, a day number two to get together. 
number one, I want to invite you the CME that I'm doing in Philly. Um, it total health is they, they, they provide their CMEs free of charge. So you can do, you could do hybrid where you did Saturday at home and came to Philly on Sunday for that. I want, I'm definitely going to be there. Yeah. You're going to be speaking at that. Yes. I'm coming. Yeah. 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. I'm speaking on integrative oncology. And for physicians that want to listen, if you go to my website, hcf444.org. Yes. I feel like my listeners, do you want to just tell them about what you do for the training for doctors? I love this weekend. So one of the things I recognized almost over a decade ago is that I'm only one person and my foundation is only one foundation. But um, I realized that if I could plant the seed of survivorship Mm -hmm. into these young surgeons while their brains are open, before they go out and practice and they're told no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. When we go to set up new programs and we're looking at survivorship, it's not just a piece of paper that's a care plan. It's not just a box you check when you get an NAPBC or COC accreditation. It is a life plan for a patient on how we help them. So we bring these young surgeons and we educate them on sex and intimacy after breast cancer on fertility preservation for our young patients to be conscious of it and bring it up, on exercise oncology, on nutrition, on stress management, on caring for the caregivers, on community involvement, on how to deliver a diagnosis of bad news, um, lymphedema prevention and treatment. And really, one of the best things about it is it's the connection. And all of these doctors that I've trained over the years, it's funny because I just put together a massive spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. The physicians that I that have come to these courses, I've stayed connected with and I've become a mentor where they know they can reach out to me anytime, you know, to ask about how to bring a program in. I've gone to a lot of their programs. Um, Deepa Hull Harvey, I went out and did a keynote for her. Um, and then we are, the foundation supported her when she went through her cancer diagnosis. We really want to create this community of allowing physicians to be open about caring about the healing and survivorship of their patients and not having to tuck it away. Like I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, yes, there are haters out there. Yes, there are people that will always attack me. I don't care. You're on your path. You do what you want. It's not going to stop me. I love that. And your, your foundation is the Healing Consciousness Foundation, which I love. Yep. And it's hcf444.org. Amazing. That's across social media. So it's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and our website. We've just recently kind of brought it all together. And the reason the 444 is that's the time in the morning that I was woken up when I was writing my book all the time. I looked it up. It's the hour of the angels. So it's when the angels are speaking to you. (laughs) I love that. It's when your mind is most open because you've slept, you've gone through REM, and now you're at the place where you're able to receive those beautiful spiritual messages. I love that. Do you wake up at 4.44 every morning? So often. I can't even tell you. I'm sure. I know that. I cannot wait to read The Healing Consciousness, The Doctor's Journey to Healing, which... I'll get it in the mail to you. Oh, my God. I want an autographed copy, though. I will autograph the copy and send it to you. Thank you so much. And can I please, please, please come out to Sedona and hang out with you and Dr. Brian Weiss and all your, your spiritual doctor friends, please? Absolutely. You got it. You got it. Sedona's a must. It's a, it's a beautiful place to visit, and uh, it's a great place to live. So all good. I love you. My, I, thank you for coming into my life when I needed you. <laughs> 
listen, you reached out to me, sister. You, uh, I know, found your own path. So I love it. Thank you so very much. I enjoy speaking with you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation or learned something new, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and help spread the word. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. And of course, make sure you follow me across all social media platforms at The Booby Docs for more of the breast information. And a huge thank you to my podcast producer, Christian Cuveta, an amazing medical student who also wrote and produced the music for this show. Take it away, Christian.